On this episode of Office Hours, Anthony Sandria, Sharon Lecter, Chris Overholt, Fritz Landman, and Riley Strickland. Too many times we try to do everything ourselves. You gotta have the right people on your team. And people need to understand how this works. You don't have to be this billion-dollar behemoth to make a big impact in the world. That's one of the reasons he's been as successful as he has. I'm gonna go metaphysically with this question. David, this gang's done their homework. These are great questions. This is like masterclass office hours. David Meltzer hosts. Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer, here with my esteemed guest host, Jason Waller, CEO of Power Home Solar and the True Underdog Podcast. All of these guests should be coming on your podcast. It's amazing, my friend. Bam. Bam. That's exciting. Joni Rogers-Conte. She is an incredible entrepreneur running a huge company, Senegenx, here in the studio with us and her wisdom will astound you. We keep on getting these young entrepreneurs. They have no idea the blessings I'm giving here on the show having you, Joni, thank you. And of course, my mentor, Blaine Bartlett. He is the president and CEO of Avatar Resources, Inc. and also the learn.blainebartlett.com mastermind, the mindset mastermind that I participate in and it's changed my life anyway. Off to our first guest, a star study day as usual. Our first guest is Anthony Sandria, CEO of Pocket Your Dollars. You have a young entrepreneur, they keep getting younger and more successful, it's amazing. I thought you had to work long and hard. I guess just hard work does it, or maybe they're starting when they're three now. Anthony Sandria, he is the CEO of Pocket Your Dollars, an extraordinary company growing so fast, he's a 30 under 30 kid. But Anthony, I wanna get started because one of the things I see through the transformation of Pocket Your Dollars is something I learned from my mentor, Dr. Jacobs from Qualcomm. Uh, he was walking me around Qualcomm and he has all this intellectual property from the 60s, even the 50s, and we're talking together and he said, Dave, what business am I in? And I said, uh, you're in the CDMA chip business, the phone business. He said, no, no, guess again. I said, I, I don't know, you're in the hardware business? He said, I'm in the owning the customer business. See, David, if you want to be successful, you need to provide value to the customer and own the customer, and you can sell them whatever you want. You can sell them shoes, insurance, whatever it is you want if you own the customer through credibility and emotional attachment. And Anthony, I think out of all the young entrepreneurs I get to work with, you nailed it. You own the customer in a very high margin capacity in the financial services space especially. When and how did you realize something that took me almost a lifetime to figure out of owning the customer and how important is it to own the customer? Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I started in in my dorm room, a traditional internet marketing agency, you know, hire for services. And, you know, I met with a mentor similar to you and he said, you have a loser model. And I was like, oh shit, I thought I was doing pretty good. What do you mean? Like you, you trade hours for money, you know, you have to scale by people. And I said, okay. So what we did was we productized the service. So we started selling customers. So really to your point, what, what I learned was the best business is the business of saving or making other people money. And that's what we do on both ends. So similar to at first, we said so we're in the lead generation business, we're in the customer generation business, but we're in the, the business of saving Americans money. And then for our, our publicly traded partners, we're in the business of making them money. So we were now incentivized to only have Geico pay us when they actually enroll a customer. So we needed to get the right customer to Geico's doorstep, meaning we had to find someone who could benefit from Geico's services. So it was a win-win across the board. And we sit, to your point, right in the middle. We spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars a day on paid advertisements 
driving customers for different financial products where we're saving them money, getting connected to the right financial product and allowing these you know, publicly traded companies to, to uh, essentially enroll a new customer, for lack of better words. Anthony, with the analytics and everything that changes on social media and different platforms, you know, my business as well does, spends a lot of money on lead gen and we're always, and we have vendors and we're always trying to find ways to stay ahead of the curve, but things change all the time. What are you doing in your business and what can you give viewers out there knowledge of how to stay ahead of that as algorithms and analytics have to change. Longer standing companies, you know, spend a lot of money on TV and then TiVo came along and, and, and being able to skip. If you had retail distribution last year in COVID, you found out, oh shoot, that may, you know, there might be some problems with that when people can't go to the store. So, you know, any, I think any marketing distribution platform or, or medium uh, is always evolving and changing. So what, what, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a groundbreaking answer, but I think it's the right answer. It's really intimately understanding your customer. And I think David will appreciate this. I always joke, I'm a method actor. Like I, I, I get so, I will default on my bills to find out what it feels like to have a debt collector try and collect from you so that we can better have the right conversation with customers. If you're able to really emotionally have a conversation with your customer in the right way, whether that comes out through creative or ad copy or targeting the right audience, whatever that is, I, I think you're always going to rise to the top. So to, to, to answer your question, it, it's really intimately doubling down on understanding your customer is how we've been able to weather the storm through all different social media updates or any platform updates in general. So it might be, you know, we put more allocation towards TikTok as it came up. We were one of the first adver advertisers on TikTok. Great, that went up to the moon because we saw consumer behavior. Oh, maybe now we got to transition over to more YouTube. People are digesting more news content on there. So now we're going to be more news focused content versus, you know, just a, a customer talking on their cell phone. Like th those tactics will keep evolving, but I think as close to the ear you can have, you know, Steve Wynn, I think has a, ha had a, uh, a beautiful lesson. He said he spends a disproportionate amount of his time with the bellhop and the bellhop is closest to the customer. And he said they understand the customer better than anyone else. So I think adopting that same mentality in anyone listening's business, the closer, as, as the companies grow, you get further from the customer, where I think we should be actually be getting closer to actually having our ears to the ground so that we can make the strategic decisions that now echo throughout the organization. I'm wondering, uh, Anthony, if uh, you have been able to identify certain pools of customers that you can uh, trade or point uh, a, a pool of these customers into a very um, diverse um, uh, selection of services or products. In other words, will this pool buy from here, here, and here, and this other pool might buy over here, here, and there? Can you group them together that way? Absolutely. You know, on a, on a uh, simple, you know, um, standpoint, you know, you do it by age, right? So in the senior market, what do they need? They, they, they're worried about their health, maybe their Medicare coverage. Maybe they, they need to make sure they have the right life insurance coverage or, uh, or uh, annuities or retirement or walk-in bathtubs, right? Like there's all, all these things around, you know, you could you can do it by age as someone listening. You could do it by gender. For us, you know, we found a pocket even even in, in uh, Christianity, right? Like people who are more religious. It's actually, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, you know, the, the cross, but it, it it's actually in the Bible that it's against the religion to you're a slave to your creditors. So you're, it's actually, you're, you're, you know, it, it really is heartfelt you're, it, to, to be in financial woes and troubles and, and, and problems. So yeah, to, to, to answer your question, absolutely. There's pockets anywhere from age to, to gender, to interest, to religion even, 
where certain pockets of people are more interested in potentially getting out of debt versus saving money on their their auto insurance or making sure they have the right life insurance policy. They don't have kids and they're not married. They're, you know, like I'm not that worried about my life insurance policy. Someone who's got, you know, two young kids that were just and just got married, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be more worried about refinancing on their home, uh, life insurance, things like that. So, Anthony, we both are in the guilt uh, pocket, Jewish and Catholic, so we invented it, you perfected it. That's a good pocket to spend on, so that's good. Guilt them into spending. Guilt them. Well, to that point, Anthony, it's great to meet you, and I and I love where this is going. And the, the, just the name of the company, Pocket Your Dollars. Yeah, every organization. At the end of the day, I mean, if, if you get real simple here, all any organization is is a collection of people in relationship. That's that's all any organization is. The product and service that any organization sells has to have an impact on the customer. How, do, how, does the, yeah, how yeah. do I feel about myself when I'm in the presence of your service? How do I feel about myself when I'm in the presence of your product? If I feel uplifted, yes. if I feel empowered, I'm gonna hang around and, and you're not gonna be wanting for, for clients. So how are you communicating that in both directions? You know, so that the same, so that you've got actually an interesting conduit here that is frictionless. For sure, I, I think it's, it's uh, a couple things. Uh, one is, I, I'm going to come back to this first point, but it's it's finding a common enemy to throw stones at. I think I think it is is huge in communication. And then secondly, it's to to your point, it's what do you really value you're providing? I had a buddy that had a, uh, um, a landscaping business, and he said, you know, we have retention problems with employees. You know, we're just cutting grass. That's all we do. I go, you're not cutting grass. He goes, what do you mean? I go, you're giving dads back their Saturday. So why don't you put in the office? a rolling clock of every hour that you guys are cutting grass of how many hours we've given dads back. And can you imagine the culture now, you're talking to the communication, but with the employees when they walk in and they say, I give dads back their Saturday. That's really what they're doing. And then can you imagine the communication with the customer? Like, hey, sir, you know, everyone else competing on price. Like, hey, I, I, wanna, I wanna give you your relationship back with your kid. And then, you know, back to the, the first point, the common enemy, you know, wh where we found a really nice niche at the beginning was, the credit bureaus having such a uh, so many inaccurate items. You know, one out of every four American has an inaccurate item on their credit report. Wow, these 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 credit bureaus that you thought you're your friend are actually yeah. screwing you over. Like finding that common enemy and aligning with partners with that. The best headline I ever wrote in marketing was, "It's not your fault." And I think a lot of us, it, even whether whether you know you want to, I'm a big fan of taking extreme ownership. But a, a, a lot of us, I think, want to feel that empathy that that you know. A lot of times, this a system, whatever that common enemy. Ha has wrong done against you. And I think when you can align with the consumer in that and help them, you know, put your arm around them, metaphorically speaking, and say, hey, you know what? Th this isn't totally your fault and I've got I've got a solution for you, you know? And it, it it brings down that, you know, feel good again to you. They feel empowered for the first time, some of these people in decades, they feel empowered about their finances. Anthony, the CEO of Pocket, your dollars, which is so important, understanding how to build a marketplace and a brand. Thank you so much for joining us here on Office Hours. Thank you. Anthony. Thanks, Thank you, Anthony. You bet. Another young superstar. Can't wait to see what he builds over the next. It reminds me of meeting you years ago oh, and watching you that. take nothing to billions. You know, uh, I they should make a TV that. show on Showtime about you. <laughs> I well, I don't have that kind of you know Tiger King haircut, so I don't know if I can do <laughs> yeah. TV yet. But I love digital marketing, and I love you know. I, 
I get intrigued by it. It's, it's a big platform in our business. So to see somebody that's running a company with affiliates and, and kind of what he's doing, bringing companies and, and customers together and cares about the full process, I think is key. I think that's really cool. And people need to understand how this works. You know, what ponds you're dipping in for the customers is all based on their behavior, age, gender, everything, income. That You're able to target certain customers and that's kind of what he's able to do to help win-win. So and he great. cares like you And do. he does care, you, you could tell. Speaking I, of caring, Jody. I think that's his brilliance in that he seems like a, a champion who's been able to monetize uh, uh, championing causes or or uh, dysfunctions that people have been exposed to for people. He's very passionate about helping people uh, who have been outwitted mm -hmm. by maybe uh, big companies. Marketing or, Robin Hood. Right, exactly. <laughs> He's that's stealing kind of what, the rich, uh, giving back to the that's poor. That's what I think. <laughs> his, his idea of, kind of finding a common enemy spoke to a point that I've you know, learned a long time ago that communication, and this is really true in the marketing arena, communication isn't logical, it's biological. And if you can get people to feel, you know, however that you know, occurs, you're going to have people's attention. You can't just be facts and figures. The algorithm isn't going to do it. You've actually got to connect. And it's a biological process. Next up, we've got Sharon Lecter, keynote speaker, best-selling author, business strategist, and mentor. Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer and I have a legend, the legend of Lecter, Sharon Lecter. Half the time when she's speaking, she can't get to her point because everybody like me breaks down crying, going, oh my gosh, Sharon, you changed my life. And they go on and on. It's like, that's really nice, but I'm here to help teach and change more lives as well. So thanks for coming on Office Hours to change our lives. I'm going to get right to the book uh, because I'm a very pragmatic person like you. You've advised two US presidents, the biggest thought leaders in the world you've been giving financial advice to uh, with extraordinary situational knowledge. But so many people, they'll go into uh, finance in their own finance and they're missing the basics. And I'm someone who lost over $100 million and I look back and realized I was illiterate financially illiterate, even though I was well-educated, I didn't understand how money works, especially when it comes to exiting. And so I was hoping you could help me understand the best way that I can exit rich. I guess my challenge is when you start a business, do you plan to work until the day you die? Or do you really want to build something that creates value and revenue that can give you your time back and an asset? Most everybody's gonna answer number two, but in reality, they do number one because they don't take the time to build the basis of a business. And it's like building a house. To build a house, you have to go down first, have a strong foundation, put in the plumbing system, the electrical system before you can have a home. Same thing with the business. People get so in love with their product or service and going out there and start making sales, they don't put in the viability and the, and the structure to their business. So I help people not just have successful businesses, but create them so they're sustainable, scalable, and yes, saleable. And the exit rich doesn't just mean selling your company. It means getting your time back and having that economic engine working for you called your business. So uh, that leads to my question, which was, how do you try to walk someone through what exiting rich really looks like? And apparently it's based upon 
of what their their ultimate goal is. Well, absolutely. And thank you so much. That's a great question because, you know, I've seen a lot of businesses that have been very, very successful. I've thought, seen a lot of businesses that were successful and then failed because they didn't have the right structure. And I've seen a lot of businesses that didn't get off the ground. And there's some common elements and that is understanding in the in the book Exit Rich, um, we put go through like a six P process. The first is people. Too many times we try to do everything ourselves. You gotta have the right people on your team, people who are strong where you are weak. Having a mentor, as David said, is so important and particularly in today's world where speed to market is everything. You have to have the right people on your team. And then obviously your product or service, that's what we're all in love with. But truly to have that success lifeblood of your business, you need the processes, the third B, your business systems. That what, That's what makes your business scalable. And having those systems is what most people don't take time to build. They build a business around the people that they hire instead of building the processes and then hiring the right people for the jobs. And then the proprietary, what is your competitive advantage? What makes you unique? Understanding that that's incredible and tangible value. That's where you hear the term goodwill. The vast majority of companies' values today are intangible because of their proprietary assets, not just copyrights, trademarks, patents, those are very important, but also your reputation, huge. And so understanding how to value that, identify that intellectual property, protect it, and then leverage it. And then your patrons, your database. David and I have talked about this many times. A lot of particularly young business owners today, they get all excited because they have all this social media presence, a million followers on Instagram or Facebook, but they don't own those names. That's great lead generation. You want to be out there, but you want to nurture them and bring them home. Give them a reason to come into your database. Many companies sell today simply for their databases. And so it's so it's a huge thing young business owners are missing today. They need to, yes, be out everywhere in social media, but give them a reason to come and get something from you so you get them into your database because that incredibly increases your, your, your visibility and the value of your company. And then the sixth P, profits. We all want profits, but the profits are dependent on all those other things falling into place. And when you can focus on the right people, the right processes, you have such a stronger opportunity to build something that will outlast you and generate that income and give you your time back. We all want we all want to have time, right? That's our only precious resource. Sharon, I think I have the title for your next book. You could be the prophet of profits. And so <laughs> maybe you and I should write that together, David. You, you heard it here. You heard it here. I'm in all in. Uh, well, Thank you know, you. that kind of leads to my question here. And, and Sharon, it's great to see you again. Um, you know, I'm going to go metaphysically with this question. And everything is energy. It's all energy. All the time, it's just energy moving around. So as an exit uh, strategy or as, 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 I, as I'm building a business with exit in mind, how are you counseling your folks uh, that, that, are, that you work with to attend to the energetic dynamic of that process? How are you actually engaging people in that conversation so that, to your point, they are actually, you know, they're actually able to exit with time, which is a resource that they're not going to get back. I love that question because it's so important. And that kind of is almost like the defining difference between um, having a job until you die or having something that builds and exists outside of you because you're creating a life that stands in its own, that business. And we talk about company culture. You either have a company culture by design or by default. 
right? It's your choice. And so you want to build that company culture by design, empowering the people that work with you so that they have um, confidence, they stand in their own power. And so if you can leave your company and come back four months and it's even bigger and stronger, then you've empowered your people. And that's that's that culture by design. And that gives you that energetic um, longevity for a company that can live for generations. To, to finish up, you know, I have another P and it's perfection. Uh, and a lot of people like this group here and yourself we strive for that perfection, and I always say progress, but not perfection. But life happens. And a lot of times, I think one of the things that you've taught me and your books uh, explain so well is how to deal with personal issues. Uh, you uh, have obviously suffered and struggled in your life personally with many things, and so has everybody here, because it's life. But I think sometimes uh, in the financial side of uh, analyzing things, we forget about including the personal struggles that we go through and how to allow those to be separate uh, and not interfere with the pragmatic P's, the six P's that, that you're thinking and teaching. Well, David, you know, that's a very personal question for me, and I think it's really an important one because people look at all of us right here on the screen, and we say easy for them to say, you know, look at them, the life of Riley, they're so successful. And we've all had, success is not a straight path. I am a recovering perfectionist. I still work on it every day. It's terrible. I have to deal with it every single day. And I, all, I never wanted to be vulnerable. I'm of that generation. Vulnerability was not a good word. And um, I lost my youngest son eight and a half years ago. And I, my life just went into neutral, into numb. I mean, I wasn't good for anybody for several years. And in fact, felt like I needed to retire. And I started getting pushback from family and friends. And that's about when I met you. And I even heard my son in my ear saying, get over it, mom, there's more for you to do. And I think it was my, when I made the decision to play big again, or I start, start driving, it was because so many people get stopped in their tracks, death, divorce, financial setback, illness, and certainly <laughs> double time in the last year and a half. But my message to each and every one of you is no matter what stopped you in your tracks, you're still here and you're still here for a reason. And what you've been through can help others going through the same thing. And so we are all who we are, we are all uniquely perfect. You know, my son had a contract that was up and he's gone and I will never get over that pain, but I can use that to help others who've had loss. And I can also show that I'm still here for a reason as you are here still for a reason. And we all have a mission to play, but it took me a while. And you know, David, which you and I talk all about gratitude. It took me a long time to get to a space of gratitude again, because it's not what we know up here. It's what we've experienced here that can impact people and that can help us communicate and make everlasting change. You are a superhero, especially for young women uh, with your passion, your purpose, and the profitability tied in. Exit Rich means more than just business. My hero, mentor, an extraordinary author, keynote speaker, just check her out. Sharon Lecter, it speaks for itself. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. I love you all. Nice, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate you wow. so much. She is an angel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I know we ran out of time. I didn't get to ask her question, but I could feel um, how much she cares and how she's really changed 
people that she touches and influences. I think that's important. I think, you know, she she brings her A game and the fact that what happens, unfortunately, with her son, but she got inspired to get back out there and continue to empower and coach people and, and make it a better place. I think. It's what great. question would you have asked her? I was in awe, so I don't know what more I could ask. I mean, I, I was going to ask her, you know, kind of some of the struggles she's been through to get to the point, but she mentioned it on yours about with her son and how she almost, you know, turned, dropped her keys and retired. She was done, and then she came back into it. I would have asked her what struggles she went through. Yeah, one of the things that struck me, and she was talking about you know the, the peas, and you know, the whole thing that people engage with around perfection, and there's a distinction between perfection and excellence. And if I'm truing towards excellence as opposed to perfection, it gives me a whole lot more room to work with. Well, I I know that she's a very accomplished writer, and I'm so impressed that she's been involved with Rich Man, Poor Man, and the Napoleon Hill Foundation called upon her to help revive Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. And I wanted to tell her that Napoleon Hill's uh, book changed my life. Me too. And Mm, uh, Mary Kay Ash actually told me to read the book, and I bought it that day. I read it all night long until I reported back to class with Mary Kay Asha and um, I, you know, again, it, it, that was the beginning. That was of, of, of knowing what to do. And I'm grateful to her for helping to revive that book and uh, make it popular again amongst the next generation of people who need to learn its lessons. We'll be right back with our next guest here on Office Hours. Our next guest is Chris Oberholt, President and CEO of Overactive Media. Guys, I am so excited about this guy. Not only is he an extraordinary entrepreneur, but he's making me money. So I had to have him on this show. When I met him, he ran a company called Splice, which I was blessed to be one of the founding investors in. So the esports space, I, here I am, in a, you know, sports executive, thinking I know everything, and I'm going to the NBA Finals in 2016, LeBron James versus Steph Curry. My son looks at Oracle Arena and he says, Dad, they sold out that arena for the League of Legends championship. And I said, no, no, that's impossible. That's online. There's a lot of people that watch online. And my head of media, Justin, he said, no, they sold out, Dave. And I'm like, that's impossible. My son said, you got to invest in a team, Dad. You could be a team owner. And I was like, what is he talking about? For you, there had to be a moment where you had an epiphany that, you know, gaming was not just gaming anymore. It was big business. And believe it or not, I want to tell you this. In 2016, more people watched the League of Legends championship than the NBA Finals, and it's only grown from there, and it's gonna keep on growing. So Chris, tell me about your perspective of when you realized that gaming was a business. For me, my eyes were open to the opportunity in 2016 as well. Uh, I was solicited to have a conversation with the Activision Blizzard team at the time, who were in the process of, uh, of looking for uh, a commissioner for the Overwatch League. That was really my introduction to the potential of esports as an industry. And, you know, the, the global industry, I think, is projected to get to 180 million just in the esports space. I think the gaming industry is approaching 1.8 billion. And, you know, outstripping the major industries that we've all known and grown up with music, fashion, the film business, of course. So, yeah, we feel pretty fortunate to be in the position that we're in. And, uh, when I was approached about getting involved with the Overactive Media Group uh, and, and the founding owners here, uh, it didn't seem like an opportunity I wanted to miss a second time. 2010, I think you were approached by the Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, Committee to come on board as their CEO. I'm going to just kind of go back a little bit of history here. And the Olympics, you, know, you go back to ancient Greece. 
So, I mean, we've come a long way from naked men running around, you know, throwing discuses and all kinds of stuff here. But the idea of sports as a uh, social medium and as a mechanism by which you can build character uh, is, is, is then and remains today, I think, one of the major tenets of organized sports. The idea of esports, um, how, how are you integrating that into that package? When I was uh, running the Canadian Olympic Committee with the help of so many, uh, we put together a number of programs that were about really our core values as an Olympic movement broadly and as the Canadian Olympic Committee more specifically. And we started, of course, with establishing our values as an organization, which are proudly all over our offices here in Toronto. And, um, you know, like any organization that's rooted in a values-based leadership approach, we, we like to think that we live our values every day. And we're starting to imbue them, I think, in our team operations business and in our players and coaching staff. We are trying to build an organization around those values where players want to play, where our front office staff wants to work, and where uh, they know they can come and have a long and healthy career, where they work for an organization that cares about their mental health and their physical well-being and thinks about how they hydrate and sleep and all those other things that are important to being a, a great professional athlete on a sustained basis. And uh, I certainly would be lying if I didn't say that all of that is um, really influenced by my time at the Olympic Committee. So great question. Thank you for that. I'm trying to think because when I played games, you know, I, nobody paid me. It wasn't anything <laughs> cool or famous. You. I mean, I was looking to get paid. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering, like, and now you've got the esports leagues going. You've got these teams you guys are invested in. You've got overactive media booming. Where do you see the technology and the turn of things changing in the next three to five years for your company and for the industry? However we're consuming these games and these sports now, uh, we cannot assume that it'll be the same uh, in any regard, I would say, in a relatively short period of time. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you some illustration of what I'm thinking about. Uh, it's not beyond the realm that VR technologies are used and adapted to enhance the fan experience at distance uh, for esports and all sports, in fact. And we've seen evidence of this already. Uh, I think it was the first time I noticed, I'm sure it's happened before, but the first time I noticed was the CBS coverage of the NCAA basketball championships in 2019, where you could literally apply your, your VR headset at home and sit courtside to watch that championship. I think you're going to see esports and the experience of this generation of fans and what they enjoy about consuming esports really start to influence traditional sport. And I think the NFL's deal with Amazon is evidence of that. I'm wondering about the, the physicality of what we can call traditional sports, football, basketball, and the fact that you're, you're dealing with uh, people who have a certain lifespan within that sport because it is so physical. And now we're moving to online. Are you all having conversations about the lifespan of your professionals who are playing online and what that looks like compared to what we were used to. David, this gang's done their homework. These are great questions. <laughs> Our compare here is is quite relevant to traditional sports. And, and let me explain what I mean. What our athletes do in the context of playing as pro athletes in these in these leagues is their, their, their skill is a physical expression of a cognitive ability. And at its peak moments, it's 400 movements a minute. These leagues demand of our players that they stay fit and healthy, both mentally and physically, as I referenced earlier, that they're hydrated, that they're sleeping properly. And you can't 
perform a cognitive ability at a high level on a sustained basis if you're not all of those things. We're efforting every day to figure out systems, process, disciplines in our team operations side that will make us a destination the way players want to play in the league they should want to play for us. Well, Chris, I want to thank you uh, for not only making me a lot of money, but helping a lot of people and building a huge community as well as having a lot of fun. One of the things I love about the community and about esports, not just professionally, it's the great equalizer. Everybody can participate and build this community and share. And that's truly, to me, uh, why I love what you're doing. And I know it's gonna be extremely successful. And it's also why I take the advice of my seven-year-old son, always now for investment. Forget law school, business school, angel investment, VC boards that I sit on. Let's get Miles up there. He knows what he's talking about when he told me I had to invest in this. So thank you so much. We'll have you back again. Great to be with you all. Another incredible guest. Pioneer. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Yeah. I am telling you, I didn't tell him. Like, literally, I told my wife, we're going to lose all our money. <laughs> like, I said, this is a marketing thing. Don't worry about it. Of course, it's the best investment I've ever made. The one I thought would be the biggest loser. That's why. <laughs> I'm trying to... You're a gamer my, yourself. I, yeah, well, I used to be. I, I play sometimes with my son, but I'm trying to... I still don't understand the industry completely. I know it's out there, but I'm struggling. Like, how has it gotten to this point that's exciting? It's just... It's wild to me that... that People are making money playing video games. It's so cool and so awesome, but it's hard for me to still wrap my head around. You've heard some amazing guests this episode. Now let's hear the takeaway of the day from Jason Waller, host of the True Underdog Podcast. I'm Jason Waller with your takeaway of the day. The most successful entrepreneurs tend to have one thing in common. They're never afraid to bet on themselves. Invest in your skills, knowledge, and desire, and don't let fear stop you from becoming the leader that you're meant to be. I'm excited to hear from our next guest, Fritz Landman, CEO of ClassPass. Welcome to Office Hours, my friend. Thanks for having me. You know, we were talking about different investments that we've made, missed, or made mistakes on. And, you know, as CEO of ClassPass, opening up into COVID, I would have bet uh, my farm, my Montana farm that I lost anyway, on the fact that ClassPass was gonna fail. I mean, I, I thought for sure, okay, wrong place. This is not happening. And yet, once again, a rising star, it has just been a godsend to the community, uh, besides a valuable asset. What was your perspective in building ClassPass and how did you see the stability in the business comparatively to a neophyte like myself that probably just saw the short-term gain? I mean, we were pretty worried as well, David. I'm not going to lie. Um, fortunately, I, I, I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I've been angel investing in tech startups for you know over a decade. Had some good wins, have had lots of mistakes and face plans. The most important determinant in success for most entrepreneurs is you know, having a good enough idea, working in the right space is obviously necessary, but really it's grit and it's an ability to sort of take what comes at you and, and take punches or pivot and iterate. And that's certainly been true of the story of ClassPass. You know, the, the founders were working on it for many years before it even became ClassPass. And uh, I can't say that I ever foresaw navigating a fitness company through a global pandemic is one of my kind of career challenges. We were worried, but we were confident. We were confident because we had just raised a close to $300 million venture round, luckily, right before the pandemic. You just have to kind of make tough calls and, and place your bets. And 
and see what happens. Speaking of calls, you have to change your phone number after raising that much money right before the pandemic. <laughs> Everybody calling you. I, was I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know, Fritz. Uh, sorry, wrong number. I think we yeah. need the phone number, though, because we play for a tie. Right. So anything that, that David and I can do to take care of our bodies a little better and at least eat better. I know me. He claims that we're both playing for a tie. I don't know. He seems to be losing weight. I feel like sometimes I'm going the wrong direction. <laughs> but during a pandemic, what kind of things did you and your business change to be able to come out of this the way it did and how and how did you inspire so many lives that you have in what you guys are doing there first was we launched digital workouts and uh, you know that was to both give our consumer customer something to do during the pandemic if they couldn't afford a peloton who's by the way a great partner of ours but you know it's a more premium product and if they didn't want to just do kind of youtube workouts we thought hey live stream workouts from our network of thousands of partners from all over the world would be a really great solution. So, you know, you could take a class from a great boxing instructor in Singapore and a yoga instructor in LA, uh, even if you live in Missoula, Montana, like I do. We got that up in like two weeks or, or, or three weeks, which is a pretty Herculean effort from, you know, our product and engineering team and our partnerships team who went and educated everyone in our network on, hey, go launch these workouts on Zoom or Instagram. You can charge ClassPass customers for it. And we gave up our commissions, our revenue commissions, because the biggest existential risk to ClassPass in the pandemic was, you know, the industry going out of business, right? And suppliers all, all kind of dying, going under. And so, you know, we've been really working on advocacy to try to drive grassroots support for things like now the Gyms Act, which we're trying to push through. Um, and, uh, you know, but most of our partners have found a way to make it work. I'm sure you've looked at um, hundreds of thousands of opportunities. Sometimes you just have to grit your teeth and say, okay, I'm going to choose this one. Uh, after you meet the founders, what is it you look for? What are the attributes of those people uh, for those companies that you just decide I'm going to take a risk on them? Most of my bets, especially when I'm my investments are typically angel investments at the earliest stages are really you're betting on that entrepreneur and i'm looking at one how good is the idea or the vision like can i see the world evolving in the way that this entrepreneur thinks two you know do i have an ability to help inflect the outcome of that particular company right so when you're looking for angel investors you're really looking for people there's a lot of people with a lot more money than me you're looking for somebody who's who can help so can draw on their experiences to help the business, help hire engineers, help teach you how to raise money from VCs, help uh, give you some go-to-market hacks. Third is, do I like the entrepreneur and the mission of the company? Like, you know, so believing in the vision is one thing, believing in my ability to impact it, maybe I'm smelling my own stuff a little bit too much there. Um, but three is probably as or more important than anything else. Um, you know, we have limited time here and there's lots of ways to make money. So, you know, you better enjoy, enjoy how you're spending your time. 2020. Launching ClassPass. Essentially, ClassPass is an aggregator of experiences from all, I mean, just all kinds of providers. One of the tenets of Stoic philosophy is the obstacle is the way. You know I mean? So you've got an obstacle in front of you, and it, it can be, oh my God, we're going to die, or it can be, how are we going to innovate our way out of this? And I was in, really intrigued with how you were able to let go of the revenue stream for a short period of time in service of a bigger vision. How did you get your, your, your partners on board with this so that the, everybody could ultimately be set up to thrive, not just survive? It, to some extent, it was sort of a prisoner's dilemma, right? We said we can either be really generous with our partners and with our consumers, or we can't. And I didn't think that us being generous or not was going to be the thing that would sort of make or break our partners with the industry. And so it was sort of like, 
you might as well just be super generous with both sides of your marketplace. And if we collectively get through this on the other side, I think we'll be in stronger shape. And so specifically, I talked about some of the things we did on the partner side, soliciting donations, giving them video workout capabilities. But with consumers, we paused our subscriptions proactively. We said, no, we're going to proactively pause your membership because the real reason you came to ClassPass was to access these awesome workouts or wellness experiences or gyms. You can't really do that. It's not really safe. Let's be on the right side of history, proactively pause you. If it's legal and if you determine that it's safe, you can unpause yourself. And we viewed that as just an investment that if we were able to get through to the other side of this thing, you know, we would have preserved more of our subscribers. We would have earned lots of goodwill and, and, and given people a positive experience with the brand. Thank you so much. Fritz Landman, the CEO of ClassPass. What a class act you are. Come and join us again. Thanks, Fritz. Thanks so much, everyone. Great to see you all. This is like masterclass office hours. <laughs> this is good. These are legends that uh, on this episode and uh, all different ages and all different industries. The fact that they took out the commissions, I love that. You know, at our company during the pandemic, the executives went off payroll and he saw how he wanted to be on the right side of history when all this was done. And I'm sure based upon his description of what they decided to do, is that's one of the reasons he's been as successful as he has through the companies that he's invested with as he's been there to help counsel them and guide them through their growth. Let's go to this week's Executive Spotlight. Each week, we'll be interviewing the top entrepreneurs and executives, sharing their personal playbook to success and the lessons they've learned along the way. Riley Strickland is the co-founder and president at LoomQ, a consumer lighting company focused on improving the way the world creates content and broadcasts online. At just 32 years old, Riley has led LoomQ to become the market leader in consumer lighting devices for cameras, smartphones, webcams, and drones. I have a special executive spotlight. Riley Strickland, co-founder and president of LoomCube, which, by the way, I used this morning for a speech I gave in my closet, and the company's <laughs> like, where's your studio? That's amazing. And I'm sitting there going, why don't I just sit in my closet and do this entire show? A little awkward for you as our special executive <laughs> guest. How did that journey start? Because I imagine it didn't start where we are today. And I love for entrepreneurs to understand that things move, adjust, and grow, and accelerate. And I know your company has moved, adjusted, and accelerated at an exponential rate. Where did the company start, and how has it evolved to where I'm using it every day in my closet to look like I'm in a studio? <laughs> it's been a journey. Um, so the original idea was actually conceived out of lighting for GoPros and iPhones. So working in the software space prior to uh, the founding group, we saw this issue with GoPros, iPhones, you know, super small censored cameras. So in that six to eight hour period of the day where the sun was high and it was bright out, amazing content. You have a 4K device in your pocket. Any other time of day, if you wanted to capture anything, it was shadowy, dark silhouette. And so we saw just like the lighting in a, a situation like this, in big studios, you have lighting, but for these small devices, there was no light designed for a GoPro or an iPhone. And so we ended up creating six units through the idea on Kickstarter back in 2014 of this little small portable light for GoPros and iPhones, you know, just to see would the market react. And 30 days later, we had a quarter million dollars. Wow. And so it was kind of, okay, here we go. I guess we're doing this. And uh, it's been a journey since. And how important is lighting? You know, I obviously come from more an agentry side of thing, a marketing side of things. As over the last four years, I've started building my brand. Some of these subtle nuances that increase success, uh, and one that I have found is if you're properly lit, 
people like to watch it. Absolutely. Have you done any research or seen anything on how important lighting is, especially in the social media space? Absolutely, yeah. We've seen, we've done a lot of testing and we've worked with a lot of influencers and there's been upwards of an 80% variance in the same exact content, the same shot, just lit well or lit, you know, just using the, the lighting in the room. And so that's where if you're looking to get followers, engagement, traction, kind of build a brand, you really need to act as though you're building a studio just like the one we're in. And, and unfortunately, most people don't have the budget to go do that. So if you are building that little home studio broadcast at your desk, whether you're on Twitch and gaming or you're making YouTubes or whatever it may be, really at the end of the day, you could be filming on a $50,000 red camera, poorly lit, you're gonna get better traction filming with an iPhone and properly lit. So kind of lighting comes before the device. And that's really the message that we're trying to send and, and we've seen the proof in the pudding. One of the other interesting things, especially during the pandemic, is that you had some really big celebrities, people who are you know not amateurs like myself, <laughs> but are on sets like this every single day for right. the last 30 years. And all of a sudden, their personal brands, their personal devices became far more important than the studio life that we live now. How did that affect your business during COVID to have all these organic supporters that were sitting there and you can see the Loom Cube right there? It was really interesting. you know. Still, we're chopping away in San Diego, you know, small shop. And so to see that really kind of makes you step back and remind you, okay, this is why we're doing it and what a reach we have, you know? So really that kind of proof that no matter the size of you, you don't have to be this billion dollar behemoth to make a big impact in the world. And so that's what's been really cool to see. And what we saw through COVID, you know, as challenging as it was for many people, what it did was really speed up the timeline and people's understanding of the value of light. And so whether it was you're creating a home studio to create content for your YouTube channel, or you're just one of those displaced individuals who are now going from the office to working from home every day, you know, you're jumping on a Zoom call and, and it's important that you look your best. The scale of having the lights being used, you know, we've seen in the White House on American Idol and all these big major uh, locations, you know, our little small unit that shipped out of our warehouse in San Diego has made it to the big time and it's, it's been very cool to see. It's very cool, but I think as a practical matter as well, when we're talking about getting a job, Mm -hmm. That's where I know, yeah. you know, I had a recent college graduate, my daughter, and she had all her interviews via Zoom. Yep. And we had the Loom Cube and it was amazing, her confidence. Mm -hmm. And so have you seen other practical uh, applications in the enterprise side or, for example, in careers? What are some of the other things that people are using Loom Cube for besides skateboarding and, and uh, you know, hanging out on, on Instagram Live? It's night and day. And particularly in the situation you mentioned, you know, we've heard the, the old adage, you only get one shot at a first impression. So our business really is broken down. You know, we value light and we see light as an essential need in a variety of aspects in the world. Kind of the video conferencing, Zoom calls, work from home crowd is one aspect of our business. The interviews, the you're jumping on a sales call, you're working with your team around the world, kind of work from anywhere collaboration is really the new, the new norm now. Uh, but we have then our content creator division that we've seen skyrocket. I mean, we've all kind of the buzzword of the last year has been TikTok. And so essentially very similar where if you're making TikToks, Twitch, you know, live streaming, esports and gaming, it's interesting seeing most of the younger generation, that 18 to 25, even younger, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, it's a streamer, a YouTuber, an influencer. It's no longer a banker, a lawyer, a doctor. And so as you know, the most important thing for these people is I want to produce quality content, which is going to be engaging to my viewership and you know, get likes, get subscribers. And so there is a small essential need of kind of hardware that is going to be 
essential to do that. So that's been really, really key for us. And you know, that esports and gaming market is where we see huge, huge growth potential, which we're super excited about. And of course, you know, the high-end filmmakers and photographers is where a lot of LoomCube originally kind of was born and embraced. And so in the situations where those people who are holding five, $7,000 camera rigs, producing content for brands and you know photography, wedding photographers. You'd be shocked how many weddings I've gone to where the wedding photographer has a LoomCube on their camera at the time. And it's like, oh, you know, it's a fun little story to see it out in the wild, as they say. You never know what circumstance is content worthy. Right. And so it's really nice. And I can't tell you before we started using LoomCube, how many times we couldn't use the content mm -hmm. because it was too dark. You can't right. recreate that moment. You know, and you're, you're you know, in line at an event and you run into you know, a world famous athlete that's your friend and you love to be able, you know, not just to get the audio mm -hmm. and be able to have that content that's perpetual, right. the lighting is essential. You guys are doing an incredible job. Last question, what do you see for the future? So where, you guys are always ahead of the game skating to where the puck is not. <laughs> where, where do you see the future for Liam Cube? We look at that term kind of content creation is, is very key for us and, and content is everything these days. No matter if you're an individual working out of your closet, your basement, or a big time executive producer, even the pro athletes, you can't just score points anymore. You gotta have an Instagram, have a YouTube, you gotta stream, you gotta engage your audience. Our goal is to continue producing tools that enable them to, to keep doing that. You changed my whole line item budget for season two of Office Hours. I put that <laughs> desktop right here. It works so go. well for me in the closet there you go. and for my speaking we'll career, business career, good, and my daughter's career because she ended up getting the job. So thank you, LoomCube. Love that. Uh, amazing. Riley Strickland is a co-founder and president of LoomCube. Uh, incredible idea with great practicality. And most importantly, it's affordable as well. Yeah. So if you're not using one, you really should. It's helped my career immensely. So thanks so much. Glad to hear it. Now a quick word from our JA Impact honoree partner, presented by Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Junior Achievement Worldwide prepares young people for employment and entrepreneurship, delivering hands-on experiential learning and work readiness, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. The recipient of the JA Impact honoree is selected based on their mission-driven values and had the opportunity to align with Junior Achievement Worldwide through their 100 million-plus alumni network. Driving awareness to their brand through Junior Achievement's millions of entrepreneurs looking to make an impact on the world. I'm Brittany, co-founder of Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Today's Junior Achievement honoree is renowned speaker and author Sharon Lecter. Not only is she teaching entrepreneurs how to exit rich from their business, but she's helped millions of people around the world to understand the energies of money and faith. Congratulations, Sharon. Thanks for watching this week's episode of Office Hours. And a special thank you to our featured co-hosts and guests for joining today's episode. See you next week on Office Hours.